greater love than this that man would lay down his life for another. I want to take a moment this morning and recognize our veterans. We take the time, thank God, every year to remember those that have given their life. And the men and women that I'm getting ready to ask to stand in just a moment have been willing to do that for you and I. They enlisted, they signed up, and they said, I'm willing to pay the supreme price of call to do that, to serve my nation and to serve the ones I love. So if you've served in the armed forces uh, before, you're a veteran or you're currently serving, would you stand for just a moment, please, and remain standing for a second? Let's take a moment right now and let's thank these guys and then remain standing if you don't mind. remain standing. I want you to represent all those that have gone before us here. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you once again for veterans. Father, for all these years, Lord, that all these people that have given themselves and give their, they, they have paid the ultimate price, Father, for our freedoms. We thank you for that. I thank you for these men and women standing in our presence today, Lord, that have been willing to do that. Father, I pray that you bless our current military. Father, give them successful accomplishment mission. Bring them home safely to us, Father, that we might uh, they, they might join their families, Father, but we'd say them, see them come home safe and sound as well. Father, we thank you today for this precious time as we remember. And Father, I pray, Lord, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, that we never, ever forget. Father, we thank you now once again for these men and women standing. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you will, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, one verse. As you find your way there this morning, Exodus 28, verse 29, stand with me this morning, if we will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Exodus 28, verse 29 says this, And so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. What we have here is, is uh, Aaron was the high priest. He had the responsibility of going in and meeting with God in the Holy of Holies. But he wore a very special outfit. He had a breast of armor. And on that breast of armor, I want you to envision this, there was 12 precious gems. There was four rows of three each across this breastplate he had on. And on every one of those precious jewels, all different, was inscribed one of the na names of the 12 nations of Israel all 12 of them on his chest, but also underneath his breastplate, he wore what they call an ephod, and it was a garment. The garment was multiple colors. You can read more about that in Exodus 28. All these multiple colors, blue and gold and green and all these distinguishable colors, but on that ephod, he had two shoulder epithets, and on each shoulder, he had two huge gems of onyx, and in each one of those gems and onyx on his outfit there on his ephod, was on this shoulder was six names of the nation of Israel and six names over here. So two times on this outfit, this garment that he wore and the breastplate he wore were the names of Israel listed there. Why? Because God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel through Abraham. Remember what he said, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. He also told Abraham, from your loins there's going to be more people generated than all the stars in the sky. He was telling Abraham, you are going to be the father of all these nations. He was ultimately in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Do you know what 
God realized that I need to continue to remind the Israelites what they have here. And he wanted them to remember the genealogy, but he also remember, remember the covenant that he made with these 12 tribes of Israel and their father and their grandfather, Abraham. Turn real quickly, one more scripture I want to look at before I let you sit down here. Deuteronomy 4, chapter 9. Flip over a couple books, three books to Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9. It says this in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. He says, Only take heed to yourself. And diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. God was speaking to the nation of Israel through Moses. And he was telling Moses, tell these people to remember me. Be diligent to remember. Do not forget me. And he's also telling them how to pass that on to the generations. You need to teach your children about me. Your children need to know who I am. You need to know who I am, and you need to remember me. If you think about this for just a second, what's the biggest problem in America today? We've forgotten God. As a nation, we have forgotten God. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Father, that we might see your word this day. But, Father, I pray for every one of us, beginning with this pastor, Father, that we would never, ever, ever forget you. Father, help us to remember. Father, we thank you for this weekend as well. Father, we remember those that have paid the price for us as Americans as well. Father, we thank you now, most of all, for Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray all these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Never, never forget. Throughout the Bible, we see God placing memorials. We see God directing his prophets and his Servants, to build morals. Remember when, jo- when Joshua crossed the Jordan River into the land of Canaan? What did he tell them to do? Get 12 stones. Imagine that, 12. Remember 12 in the ephah of Aaron? 12 stones representing the 12 tribes that were crossing over the Jordan River. He says, build a monument in Gilgal. Why? That all the generations may know that I am God. Build that memorial that they'd ask, what happened here, Dad? What happened here, Grandfather? Well, let me tell you about it. God, part of the Jordan River, we crossed over into the promised land. Tell them all the rest of the story, how Jericho's walls came crashing down. God wanted his people, the Israelites, to remember him. We're going to absorb the, uh, observe the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. What is that all about? This is a memorial. Remember Jesus Christ in the upper room saying, hey, do this in remembrance of me? Jesus Christ is saying, remember me, remember me, remember me. Do this. It's a memorial. I want you to observe the Lord's Supper. I want you to partake and break the bread and drink of the fruit of the vine. And remember me. You know, the writer of Psalms, we're not exactly who the writer of Psalms 119. We're not exactly who wrote that one. There's speculation, but we don't know really who wrote that. But it was the longest book in the Bible. Psalms 119, the longest book in the Bible. This guy, I want you to think about this. He wrote a lot of profound things in Psalms 119. It's a great book, just that chapter to read. Great life lessons there. But I want you to hear this. No less than seven times he says, God, I don't want to forget you. Listen to this. Psalms 119. Verse 16, it says, I will not forget the Lord. Verse 83, he says, yet do I not forget the statutes. Verse 93 and 141, they're repetitious. He says, I will never forget thy precepts. Verse 109 and 153 says, For I do not forget thy law. This man was obsessed with making sure, God, I don't want to forget you. Then finally, 176, verse 176, he says, For I do not forget thy covenants. God 
wants us to remember him. You know, but God also knows how forgetful we are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure if we were all honest, every hand would go up. Have you ever forgotten anything? I got a couple of tragic pastor stories for you. Not tragic, but kind of half funny, but half sad too. I know two different pastors. One of them missed a funeral and one of them missed a wedding. That's probably one of the biggest, scariest things for a pastor. I guess another thing would be missing Sunday morning. When do I miss Sunday morning? But uh, one pastor forgot all about the wedding. He knew it, had an encounter, actually prepared for it. His Bible was all set for the, for the wedding. Forgot about it. And uh, fortunately, there was another pastor at the wedding. The pastor said, this is my church. I got my Bible. I'll be right back. I'll do the wedding. So that's a little scary. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I, I understand why it happens, because it's typically not on a normal day of work. It's usually maybe on a Saturday, and you're doing a wedding or an evening, Friday evening or Saturday evening. So it's easy to forget, because I'm already going 100 miles an hour. Another pastor, I actually worked for this one. He was a senior pastor, and uh, he forgot about a funeral. And uh, I was in the office that day. He was in the office that day. He was dressed about as casual as could be. And uh, all of a sudden, the phone rings. His secretary takes the phone. Is the pastor there? Yeah. He's supposed to be at a funeral right now at Bennett's Funeral Home. Hold on a second. <laughs> pastor. Oh, my gosh. You know, to make things worse, his car was in the shop that day. So he comes around. And I was dressed up that day. I don't know who I was meeting with. Probably my wife. I was all dressed up, nice little suit. But uh, he comes in and says, I got a big problem. I said, what the, I'm supposed to do a funeral in 15 minutes from now. And so no problem. But oh, I have no clothes. Can I borrow your coat? I took my coat off, gave him my tie, put his tie on. And uh, can I give me a ride over there? My car's not here. So I drove him over there. He ended up being about 30 minutes late for the funeral, but he made it. We all forget things. We all forget sometimes important things like that, sometimes little things. We forget people's birthdays or anniversaries or things we want to remember. You know, shame on us guys that we ever forget the wrong birthdays here and or the right birthdays the wrong day. But God realized that we forget things. In Deuteronomy 8.19, he says, realizing that we forget things, but he says, you can't forget me. He says in Deuteronomy 8.19, he says, then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. That's God telling the nation of Israel. You forget me and begin worshiping other things, other idols, other gods, you know what? You're going to perish. I want you to ponder the thought right now what's happening in America. Unfortunately, too many people in America have forgotten God. Unfortunately, there's people in America that want to take God out of everything so everybody forgets about Him. We cannot let that happen as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper. That's why we come to church. How easy it is for people to forget God because I don't really need to go to church every Sunday. I know I'm preaching to the audience right now in the choir. But how easy it is to forget God that it's not that important. God's saying, don't do that. God is saying, don't do that. This is Moses telling the nation of Israel what God is saying here. A couple hundred years later in the book of Judges, we see this written. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. 200 years later, they're saying, the children know what God is anymore. Children know God, they don't, don't know God, they don't know what he's done. And then even after that in Samuel, but they had forgotten the Lord their God again. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God said, hey, repent. God sent his prophets to say, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. He sent the prophets to point them back towards God. Yet they continued to drift away and forget God. It's so easy to put God off the side because of our flesh. 
because everything else is so much more important. What do we miss when we put God to the side? I'm here to tell you, as God is my witness, but also based on the Holy Word, we miss life. We don't see life the way God intends to be. We miss what God truly intended when we put God off the side, when we forget about God. I'll tell you something else that happens when we forget God and put God off the side. We end up eating crumbs off the floor when God's saying, I got this banquet table over our floor. Come sit at my banquet table. No, but because we've forgotten God, we end up eating the crumbs off the floor. We eat the scraps that are left over by the world as opposed to eating the riches in Christ that he has for us and dining in the riches of Christ. God has this incredible abundant life for us. We miss it when we forget God. I love what it says at the end of Deuteronomy 4.9. You read that a minute ago with me as we're standing. It says, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. He's saying, don't let God depart from you. Make sure that you stay strong and be diligent in the Lord. Do not let God depart from you, but also you need to teach them to your children. You need your children to understand these things. Listen very carefully. I'm sure we're pretty much all aware that most of our children are not going to get God in their education today. Public education. And I thank God we've got some great Christian teachers in public education. I mean, they love the Lord, and they take every opportunity to demonstrate Jesus Christ to people. But the world does not want God taught in schools. They want our children to graduate and think that they came from monkeys. They want kids to graduate and think that there's no such thing as life in the womb. All these things that the world teaches them. If our children are going to come to understand and know God in a personal way, it's going to come from us. Church is great too. In Sunday school, I'm thankful for that. My children are who they are today, partly because of Amy and I, most of all because of God, but also because of you. Many of you have been teachers to my children in Sunday school and Awana in the student ministry. They've grown up under your tutelage and underneath your leadership and seeing what a godly person looks like. And you've encouraged them. My son was on reserve duty for a week down in, in Norfolk two weeks ago. Had the evenings off, and so he called his former youth pastor up and said, Hey, can we have dinner? Absolutely. My son said it was the best night, Dad. And he's had a relationship. His youth pastor has been gone now for, I think, seven or eight years. He was here for six years. But he has a growing, still vibrant relationship with a student pastor from seven or eight years ago. Talks to him on the phone, had dinner with him the night. Came home just excited about what's going on in his life, and he was able to show what's going on in his life. We need to teach our children these things. I want you to think about this for just a second. If you were to take a high school history book that was used in public schools in 1960, and you put it on a table right beside one that's used today, and you start comparing things, you know what? Think it can be any different? Absolutely. Our public education history books are written by secular humanists. They don't need God in that book. If you look at a history book from 1960, you know what? There's a picture in that book of George Washington kneeling in prayer. You've seen that picture before. It's in the history book. Look at that history book from 1960. It's not there today. You know what's in the history books today? Look what man did. You know, man invented the polio vaccine, and man learned how to fly, and man gave women their rights, and man gave civil rights to those. All those are good things. But where is God? God's no longer in the history of America. We don't want him there. We don't want him to give him credit. We've forgotten him. It's so sad. The people that need to teach the history today are you and I. Because children in this generation are not getting it anywhere else besides us. 
always love taking the opportunity on Memorial Day or Fourth of July or Veterans Day to take an opportunity to talk about these things because most children, most adults as well, don't hear it too many other places. If you listen to the right radio stations, if you listen to the right television program, you see some of these things. But God has blessed our nation throughout history. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. I want to take a couple of minutes and talk about the significance of Memorial Day. Maybe some of these things you know, maybe some of you don't. Do you know that they fly the flag at half-mast on Memorial Day? You've probably seen that, and that makes sense. But did you know this? Protocol says that we only fly that flag at half-mast for half a day, from sunrise to noon. At noon, we need to raise that flag to full mast. Do you ever know why? Well, that flag that day represents and remembers the first half of the day for those that have fallen, those that have given their life ultimately, paid the ultimate sacrifice for a nation. At noon, we raise that flag back up to full mast. What does that represent? That represents and honors those men and women still serving, still living. And the essence of that whole thought is that we're honoring veterans that day. Those that have fallen and paid the ultimate price and those that are still serving. You come by our church tomorrow, the flag will be at half-mast till noon. We'll raise it to full-mast. Maybe you've heard some of these statistics, but they're both profound but also sobering. The U.S. military that's been killed in action in our history, and this doesn't include them all. Most statisticians would tell you it's, it's impossible to have a totally accurate count because some of the wars long ago, they didn't have the capability like we do today to keep that kind of accountability. So they say somewhere between 1.3 million and 1.8 million men and women have died for our nation in its history. Well, listen to some of these. There's 25,000 individuals that lost their life during the American Revolution. The greatest loss of life, as you know, was in the Civil War. 625,000 men and women died in the Civil War. World War I, 116,500 people died. World War II, the second highest Death rate, 405,000 people died in World War II, Americans. In Korea, 36,500 soldiers and military folks died. In Vietnam, 58,209 died. The first Gulf War in 1990 and 91, 258 soldiers and servicemen died. In Afghanistan, to date, 2,344 military personnel lost their life. In Iraq, 4,800 to date, a supreme cost has been paid for yours and my freedom. The whole idea of Memorial Day started out as Decoration Day. It started in 1865. Some women in several different locations around our nation as the Civil War was coming to close wanted to put flowers upon graves. Vicksburg, Mississippi was one of those places. The ladies did that. In 1868, a number of ladies petitioned the War Department in Washington, D.C. to be able to place flowers at Arlington Cemetery and all those tombstones. And they went in there and they presented the thought and they kind of liked it. But the War Department, unfortunately, had a, a major requirement. <laughs> you can place those flowers, ladies, on the tombstones that belong to the Union soldiers, but not the Confederate soldiers. The ladies argued and argued and argued and Finally, the War Department would not change their decision. So the lady said, well, we'll live to fight another day about that, but uh, we'll go ahead and put flowers on the Union gravestones. 
fellow by the name of James Garfield, a general, gave the message that day as a Memorial Day message in the cemetery there. He later became president, as you know. <laughs> but the flowers were only laid on the Union cemeteries, on the Union gravestones. I want to tell you a God story. After all the folks had left that service, after all of them got home, an incredible storm brewed up. A phenomenal wind, almost gale-force winds, blew across that cemetery. You know what happened? <coughs> Those flowers were blown off the Union gravestones across the road to where the Confederate gravestones were and covered that field with flowers. People came that evening when the storm was over the next morning and looked at marvel about what God had done. Listen to this. The War Department never gave a command again not to place flowers. God has shown up in America's life over and over and over again and directed us. Sometimes we've been a little slow to understand or learn these things, but God is in control. I don't know if you know this, but the last Confederate veteran, veteran died in 1958. He had to be a pretty old fellow. But in May, on May 23rd, 1958, the Congress passed a resolution identifying and giving the honor to Confederate soldiers that was equal to that of Union soldiers. They declared Confederate soldiers United States veterans. Praise God for that. I could spend all day, as you guys know, talking. I do half the time. But I want to share a couple of God stories with you. A couple of things that we've seen. That was one of them. But uh, we could talk all day, but because of time, I just want to share these two. In August of 1776, was what the battle became known as the Battle of Long Island, but it also became known as the Battle of Brooklyn. It was the largest battle of the Revolutionary War. You say in 1776 was the largest battle? Absolutely. There was more troops there and more fighting in that battle than any other battle throughout the whole Revolutionary War. There was 30,000 of the world's greatest fighting men, the British Army, 30,000 British troops, going against 10,000 of Washington's troops that weren't really troops. They were kind of an ill-trained, ragtag group of militia led by General Washington. He hadn't had the time, nor the money, nor the effort to build those guys into soldiers like the British Army. It was truly David going up against Goliath. But God had a plan. The battle was in Brooklyn on Long Island there. And uh, General William Howe was a British general. A seriously trained, grilled, and brilliant tactician. He knew what he was doing with that British Army. Washington was a very smart guy too. Washington had a, had a heads up though. He had an advantage. Washington was a man of God. But Washington got outflanked there. The British Army surrounded General Washington's army. General Washington, that first day of the battle, lost 1,000 soldiers and two generals. It was an onslaught. Now he's down to 9,000 soldiers, still against about 30,000 British. It's not looking good. He's backed up to the East River, and he's got British on three sides. He's surrounded. There's no way to cross this East River because it's so turbulent, so violently stormy. He had a few boats, but he had nowhere near the number of boats to get his people across that river. So you know what he did? About 8 o'clock that night, Realizing that this boat, now let me share one thing. General Howe had the American army in his hand. He could have obliterated it. He could have 
annihilated the American army that afternoon and that evening. It would have been all over. The war would have been over before it started. But you know what happened? General Howe stopped. He stopped. I don't know if he's tired or had a stomach ache. I don't know what it was. But he said, hey, hold up, guys. We'll finish this in the morning. There's the first miracle of God. General Howe had the war won. This is a good tactic for us. If you have the war won, don't stop. But he stopped. General, General Washington wasn't sure what was going on, but he realized that the attack stopped. So we got a moment to catch our breath and figure this out. At 8 o'clock that night, he called for a prayer meeting. Got all his generals together, but he also told his enlisted men, pray. Pray that God give us wisdom and figure this out. General Washington got on his knees with his general and said, we need to figure this out. Let's pray. They prayed, and they were pretty sure they are supposed to cross the river. This is the only way out. We got a few boats, but look at how turbulent it is. We're probably going to lose as many people in this water as we will fighting the British, British Army. So he prayed. He said, we need to do it. We need to try because it's the only out right now to get away from this British Army. They got ready to launch their boats. It was about 11 o'clock at night. You know what? As they began to launch the first boats, you know what happened? Perfectly still water. It was like glass, the historians say. The East River's never like glass. It's always turbulent, always storming. It was like glass. There was no moon that night, so it was dark enough so they could get across that river. So he began taking the troops across and coming back and getting more and getting more and getting more. But it was about a half hour before dawn, they realized we still got about 25% of our troops to get across. We're not going to make it. 25% of our men are stranded here on the wrong side of the river. Next to the British Army, they'll be annihilated. What do we do? George Washington said, just keep going. As the sun came up, you know what happened? A fog denser than any of them had ever seen came down and covered that river. A fog so thick that even General Howe couldn't see the Washington and the American encampment there. They got all the rest of the men over the next four hours across the river. As soon as they were across the river, guess what happened? The fog lifted. I wonder who did that. General Howe looks out and the American army's gone. What? What happened here? God was in control of America from the very beginning. And that's not the beginning. That's just one of the stories. One more story very quickly here. September 13th, 1847. It's the battle with Mexico. There is one major obstacle standing in the way of the American forces. They're taking down Mexico City. There's 120 Marines and, and, and also some Army folks there. I'd like to mention those guys too. But uh, there's a castle there on top of this highly fortified mountain. It's a small mountain there, 200 feet in the air, a graduated incline up to it, but it, it was a defensive posture that would be a defensive person's greatest gift. Looking down at the enemy, they had all kinds of artillery, they had all kinds of obstacles, they had an incredible defensive advantage. But they needed to take this obstacle. Those 120 American troops stormed that hill. That castle was Chapultepec. They stormed that hill. It was some of the bloodiest fighting that the world had ever seen at that point. Artillery bombardments, massive musket. And as the Marines and the Army soldiers came up that hill, the Mexicans had been given the directive to kill the officers and the leaders. So one by one, the officers were killed, but the next guy in charge would step up and take the lead. The next guy taking the lead would get shot, and the next guy would step up, and the next guy in rank would step up. After they'd killed all the officers, the staff, non-commissioned officers, the sergeants, and those guys stood up and started taking the hill. One after one, they took that hill. At the end of the day, they finally made it to the, to the, the edge of the castle there, and they entered in. 
Inside that castle was known as the Halls of Montezuma. You've heard that before. But they got to the top of that hill there, and 90% of the officers and staff, non-commissioned officers, were killed. But to this day, there's a memorial about that battle. One of them is that it's made famous by the Marine Corps hymn from the Halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. There's something else that many of you may not know that uh, Marines know and come to find out. You may have seen a Marine in his dress blue uniform. If you see anybody at the rank of corporal or higher, they got a red stripe down their blue pants on this side. That, blue, that, that came out of that battle. That red stripe on the, on, the, on the pants is known as the blood stripe. And it's a memorial to that battle. And it's a standard in the military that you need to know the guy's job ahead of you. If he dies, you pick it up. Leaders are considered corporals and above, NCOs, non-commissioned officers, all the way up to officers. They wear that red stripe as signifying the fact that that battle, they know that's that battle that gave them that red stripe, but also the fact that they're a leader now. And they expect to lead in the most hardest of times, even if there's no other leaders around. I'm called, even my young corporal, I'm the lead. It's a memorial that we always remember what happened in our past. There's so many stories that I mentioned there that you and I could remember. God has made America great. He truly has. This is a great nation. It always has been. How about you think it always will be? Do you know what needs to happen in America today? You and I need to get serious about remembering. Remember what Jesus Christ said upon that cross. Remember to teach our children history. I'll share this one thought with you. I got an incredible gift back in 1983, well, in fact. I got three books given to me by my mother. My grandfather, her father, died in 1980. We were living on the East Coast. He was out in California. She went out to the funeral, spent a couple weeks out there kind of helping with the estates. Came back and for Christmas gave me three books. She wrote this inside this book. Gary, you are very much like your grandfather in your love of history. I hope you'll enjoy these books as much as he did. Love, Mom. We have an incredible opportunity to teach the next generation not to forget. Don't forget Jesus Christ. Help our, under, our children to understand truly what that means. What does it mean that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself upon that cross? What does it mean that 1.3 to 1.8 million people have given their life for our nation? Do we remember those things? Listen very carefully. I can tell that it's not being taught. Maybe you can too. I go to a sporting event or I go someplace where they play the star. I went to graduation. They played the national anthem. You know what I learned when I was a kid? About old enough to walk and talk. When the national, my dad was a naval officer in the World War II. He taught me these things. To stand at attention, put my heart on my hand, my heart, and uh, not talk, not listen to my walk on, not messing around, but just stay and stare at the flag. You go to these things right now. A lot of guys don't know they're supposed to do that. We're just, we're not teaching. Is that is that a cardinal sin not doing that? No. But to me, it says. I don't understand what that flag represents. I don't, I don't understand how many people have died for that flag. You know, the fact that we don't carry ourselves in a different way for the cause of Christ, does it mean that we don't understand that cross? I don't know. Just a thought. But God is telling us over and over, don't forget. Memorial Day is one of those times when we don't forget. Let me ask that question. Thinking about Memorial Day, was it worth it? Was it worth it for all those men and women to die? Was it worth it? This question got asked 
of a four-star Marine Corps general, John Kelly. He served for 45 years in the Marine Corps. No other person has ever served longer than him. 45 years in the military. That's a long time. Somebody asked him that question, was it worth it? You have all the people in the world, he probably had a more of a right to answer that question, not just because he'd been in the Marine for 45 years, but in 2008, his son, First Lieutenant Robert Kelly, a Marine, was killed in Afghanistan. So while the people that had the right to ask that question, was it worth it? He said, you know, that's really a question for those that actually died, those that died for our freedom. But he said, I can tell you about my son. He loved what he did. He loved being a Marine, and he loved where he was at. He realized he was making a difference for America, serving there. But then the general goes on and makes this comment. This is on TV. Makes this comment. For the rest of us, for all those that are left behind, we need to make what they did worth it. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Our role right now, because many of us, most of us probably will never see combat ourselves, we need to make what they did worth it. By the way we love our Lord, the way we carry ourselves, the way we keep their memory fresh in other people's minds and teach our children, men and women died, that you can have the freedom to stand in this corner and speak, or you have the freedom to go to church, or all the things that God has given us here in this nation. It's time for you and I to rise to the occasion. It's time for you and I take the gloves off. It's time for you and I to take cruise control off and put the pedal to the metal and realize that God has given you and I an incredible opportunity, an incredible blessing here in America. You know, we're getting ready to observe the Lord's Supper here in about one minute. Jesus is telling us as well to never forget. Listen to this. It comes out of 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, In the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's saying, Remember me. Remember me. Never, ever 